all long cigarettes has brought you Dragnet, portions transcribed from Los Angeles. Later, hear Spellbound with Joseph Cotton on Screen Directors on NBC. Ladies and gentlemen, Fatima Cigarettes is proud to bring you its prize-winning radio program, winner of the Motion Picture Herald Fame Award. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to juvenile bureau. You receive a complaint about an eight-year-old boy and his sister. A neighbor reports they've been going from door to door begging for food. Supposedly, the children are from well-to-do parents. Your job? Investigate. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes. You'll find they now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild with a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. So compare Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima... The difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Start enjoying Fatima tomorrow. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, April 27th. It was overcast in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of Juvenile Bureau. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Kinsling. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from communications. It was 4.38 p.m. when I got to 1335 Georgia Street, second floor, room 14. Hi, Joe. Been waiting long? I was just checking with records. No, I just got here. What's this thing all about? Well, just what I told you on the phone. Seven-year-old boy and his sister covering the neighborhood begging food. You ready to go? Yeah, let me put this away first. All right. Kid's supposed to be from a wealthy family, huh? Well, wealthy enough to live in the best part of Bel Air, yeah. Mm, doesn't make much sense. Must be some kind of a gag, huh? No, not according to the neighbor who called in. Yeah? She says the kids are half-starved. Ben and I got in the car and drove out Sunset Boulevard to the Bel Air district. We pulled up in front of a large two-story home near the corner of Brookline Avenue and Knightsbridge Drive. It was a white frame colonial mansion set back in the middle of well-landscaped lawns and gardens. The other homes in the neighborhood were just as large, $50,000 and up. It was the last place in the city that you'd expect to find neighborhood children begging food. 5.20 p.m., we went around to the rear entrance of the Colonial Mansion, as we'd been instructed on the phone. We located the woman who'd called in the complaint, a Miss Jeanette Bejan. 
She was employed as laundress and cook by the owners of the house. She was busy fixing dinner. They're from next door, officer. The children. As I explained on the phone, a boy about seven years, a girl five years old, I guess. Which side do they live on, Miss Bajan? The house on the corner? Uh, no, the other side. Up here. The brown and white house. Just up the street next door. Mm-hmm. Are the children there now? Do you know that? No, but they were here this afternoon again. Here to the back door asking for something to eat. I don't understand it. Something must be wrong. Well, have they been around often, Miss Bajan? Oh, two or three days. Maybe four days. At first I thought they were fooling, but they were not. I gave them some cookies, sandwiches. They were very hungry. They ate them like they were starving. The little girl saved her cookies. She took them with her. How about their parents? Are they at home? Excuse me. What's that? No, I haven't seen the mother the last few days. I understand they are divorced. The mother, she lives there with the children. The father, I don't know. Well, what's their name, do you know? Kessler. Madame, uh, the woman I work for, she says there are three children in the Kessler family. But I don't know. I have only seen the two, the boy and the girl. I would go over and see what is wrong, but I do not know the Kessler. It is not my place. That's why I called you, officer. All right, Miss Bajan. Well, thank you very much. Not at all, officer. You understand, I do not mind giving the children food. Well, I think only something is wrong if they don't get it at home. Well, thank you very much for notifying us. We're going to check into it. Um, just a little curious, Miss Bajan. What's that you make? This? Napoleon. Uh, how's that? Napoleon. You know, Napoleon pastry. Oh, oh, yeah. Sure smells good. Well, thanks again. Oh, certainly, officer. If there is anything I can do, you will let me know? Yes, ma'am, we will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Oh, that's a beautiful place. Yeah. Those Swedish women make pretty good cooks, don't they? I don't know. She sounded French to me. Huh? Maybe so. Most good at cooking, anyhow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that brown and white house next door, that must be it, huh? Yeah, that name, Kessler. They fairly prominent around town, society? I don't know. There's quite a few of them. Could be. Any way you look at it, it's hard to figure, isn't it? Kids have been at it for four days. If it's on the level, they really must be in a bind. The garage door is open back there. No sign of a car. Mm-hmm. Kids' bicycles, though. Let's try the front door, huh? Mm-hmm. Guess you better try it again, huh? Yes, sir. Hello, son. Your name's Kessler, is that right? Yes, I'm Richard. My mother's not home right now. Maybe you can come back tomorrow. Well, we're police officers, Richard. If you're not busy, we'd like to talk to you for a minute. Is that all right? Oh, yes, sir. That'd be all right. Would you come in, please? Thank you. Richard Kessler was a blonde-haired, wiry boy, polite, well-mannered. He told us that he was eight years old and that he attended the neighborhood grammar school. He showed us back to the kitchen where he was warming a can of soup that he borrowed from a neighbor. It was a large house, richly furnished, but it hadn't been cleaned for weeks. Dust was piled up thick on the furniture, and children's books and toys were scattered around the rooms along with scraps of dried bread, half-eaten. The house was cold and musty. On a small bar in the dining room, there were three half-filled cocktail glasses and a plate full of cigarette butts. Evidently, they'd been standing there for days. 
On the sink in the kitchen, there were a few pieces of stale bread and an open bottle of milk that had turned sour. Next to it were a half a dozen empty whiskey bottles. The Kessler boy was well-dressed, except for the shirt that he had on. Looked as if he'd been wearing it for a week. What did you want to talk to me about, officer? I haven't done anything wrong. Oh, we know that, son. We'd just like to find out how you've been getting along. I've been, I've been getting along all right. Two A's and four B's on my report card last month. Mm-hmm. Where's your sister, Dick? Judy, uh, she's down the street. She'll be back in a minute. How about your mother? Where's she? Uh, she's out, too. She'll be back. When do you expect her, son? Pretty soon. She's coming back pretty soon. Well, your sister, Judy, she's younger than you are, isn't she, Dick? Uh, yes. Judy's only six. I'm eight. Any other grown-ups live here with you besides your mother? No. Mom takes care of us. She'll be back pretty soon. We'd like to have you tell us the truth now, Dick. How long has she been gone? I don't know. It's probably important. Taking her a long time. She can come back tomorrow. She'll probably be here then. When was the last time you saw her, son? Son, how about that? A couple of days ago. Well, this is Tuesday. You mean she left the house Sunday? No, before that. Last Friday night she went out. Said she'd be back. I don't know. Did your mother say where she was going, Dick? No, her boyfriend was here. Larry, I don't know his last name. Mom went out with him to a party, I think. I don't know where. She'll be back all right. Did you leave anyone to take care of? No, we can take care of ourselves. Nobody's fixed the cooking, though. I don't know how yet. I'd better look at the soup on the stove. No, I'll take care of it, son. Go ahead. Sit down. Has your mother ever left you like this before, sir? Maybe once or twice. She never stayed away this long, though. I don't know. What's the matter, Dick? Well, Johnny, officer, my little brother. He hasn't eaten much for a while. Must be hungry by now. I was fixing the soup for him. Yeah, well, where's Johnny? He's upstairs in the nursery. He's been sick with a bad cold. Mom knew Johnny was sick. That's why I wondered. She hasn't come back yet. I don't think Johnny's feeling good. Do you want to take steps for him, Yeah, all right, if you want. Ben, you want to come out here? Yeah, uh-huh. How long has Johnny had this cold, Dick? Well, a couple of days before Friday, before Mom left. Mm-hmm. How old is he? Johnny's just a little kid. He won't be two years old until July. Been wondering about him. Coughed a lot at first. Been given him milk and cookies. That's what Judy and I had. I don't know. Has the doctor been to see Johnny? Oh, no, I thought of calling him. I didn't know the doctor's name. I was waiting until Mom got home. Oh, this is Johnny's room here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the crib, officer. That's my brother Johnny. Mm-hmm. Pretty cold in here.
A 22-month-old boy was in a coma. Richard Kessler and his sister Judy were taken to Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau and then transferred to Juvenile Hall and placed under protective custody, Section 700, Sub B, Welfare and Institution Code. The two of them were given a bath and something to eat. Judy Kessler was interrogated separately by a policewoman. Ben and I talked to the boy, Richard. After a few minutes, he broke down and admitted that his mother had gone off and left the three children alone on at least a half a dozen occasions. He told us his parents were divorced. He rarely saw his father, but his mother had had two or three boyfriends at the house during the past year. He also told us his mother drank quite a bit. But she's never been gone this long before, Sergeant. Maybe she's out somewhere and has no way to get home. We'll find her all right, son. Don't you worry about it. Well, this boyfriend of your mother's, Dick, his first name was Larry. Is that all you can tell us? Yes, sir. I don't know his last name. Are you going to keep us here all night, Judy and me? Just for a day or so. They'll take good care of us, huh? Where'd you take Judy? Well, she's just next door, Dick. You can see her in just a minute now. And, uh, how about Johnny? I always take care of him. Pretty fussy on strangers. Well, they've got him over at the hospital, Dick. They're going to take good care of him now. You can count on that. I don't know, officer. i better see him. He might get awful fussy. All right. We'll fix that up for you. Do you have any relatives in Los Angeles, son? Aunts, uncles, anyone like that? No, just my father, but I don't know where he lives. Well, we had a nurse who used to take care of us, Mrs. McIntosh. She was swell. My mom fired her. Oh, how'd that happen, do you know? No, I'm not quite sure. Maybe my mom was drinking. Mrs. McIntosh got mad at her. Had a big fight, and mom fired her. Oh, well, this Mrs. McIntosh, you know where we can find her? No, sir, I don't. How about uh, some of the other boyfriends that your mother had, Dick? Do you remember any of their names? No, one of them was George something. I don't remember the other one. Joe, see you a minute? Yeah, Mac. You want to stay with the boy, huh, Dick? Yeah. Hospital call. It's a lousy thing. What's that? The Kessler boy, little Johnny. Yeah? He just died. John Albert Kessler, white male American, age 22 months. All the pertinent facts and data would be listed on the crime report. And if and when the case was closed, the report would be filed away. Wouldn't be any different from a thousand other dead body reports. Same size, same color, same number up in the left-hand corner. In the course of 10 or 20 years on the job, a police officer sees a lot of them. Most of them he forgets. Few of them he never forgets. The next morning, the body was posted to the county morgue. It was found that the youngster had been suffering from malnutrition, but the cause of death was listed as a basal skull fracture. Homicide detail was notified. The search for the mother, Mrs. Jean Kessler, went on. We talked to her neighbors, all of her friends that we could locate. We checked out an address book that was found in Mrs. Kessler's effects at her home. We got out a broadcast and an APB. No luck. Thursday, April 29th. How about the youngster's brother and sister, Ben? You think it could have happened that way? How do you mean? Well, we were taking care of the little fella. They might have had an accident with him. They're afraid to own up to it. I don't think so, Joe. No, that's not very likely, Mac. We talked to him quite a bit last night. A couple of pretty honest kids. Pretty sure that they wouldn't lie about something like that. Where does that leave it, the mother? Good possibility. We know Mrs. Kessler drinks quite a bit. She could have lost patience with a little boy. More chance of an accident there. I get it. You and old Friday. Yeah, Bert. Where's that? Uh-huh. Right, thanks. Yeah? Woman answering Miss Kessler's description checked into the hotel down on South Hope last night. Still registered? Well, she checked out early this morning. They found a woman's sport coat in the room. What about it? Blood stains on it.
are listening to Dragnet for the step-by-step solution to tonight's authentic case history. Here's step-by-step are the actual reasons why Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette. Why in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos, the finest domestic and Turkish varieties, extra mild and superbly blended to give you a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture, smooth, round, perfect cigarettes, rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Manufactured in the newest and most modern of all cigarette factories. Quality even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow package. Carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, fresh, extra mild flavor. Compare Fatima yourself. Fatima's now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Start enjoying Fatima quality yourself. Insist on Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all, long cigarettes. Friday, April 30th. We were still without a lead as to the whereabouts of the missing mother, Mrs. Jean Kessler. The blood-stained coat, which had been found in the South Oak Street Hotel, was shown to Mrs. Kessler's friends and to her children, Richard and Judy. They identified it as belonging to the missing woman. Routine investigation of the hotel room failed to uncover any further leads. We got out a supplementary APB, and then we started rechecking with the Kessler woman's friends and acquaintances. Nothing. We rechecked a dozen taverns and cocktail lounges that she'd been known to frequent. No sign of her, no sign of her boyfriend. In rechecking her personal effects, we found a canceled check payable to their former nurse, uh, Mrs. McIntyre. The endorsement carried her address. We checked it out. She'd moved. We traced it to the forwarding address. There we were told that she had a new job as a nursemaid with a wealthy family living in the Los Feliz district. We called there and talked to Mrs. McIntyre, and she told us that she was just leaving the house with the three children for an outing at the park in the zoo. We made arrangements to meet with her out there. 1.30 p.m. Ben and I located her at the head of the path leading through the main part of the Griffith Park Zoo. I read about it in the paper, Sergeant, about Johnny. I didn't know you wanted to talk to me. I would have called in if I did. We're still trying to locate the mother, Mrs. McIntosh. Can you help us out there at all? No, I don't know. You asked at those places she used to go to all the time where she used to drink. Yes, ma'am, we have. They couldn't help us. Did you know any of Miss Kessler's boyfriends, the ones that had come to the house? Yes, I knew all of them. Donald, don't you wander off now? Same for you, Patsy. You stay close. Uh, the boy, Richard, uh, he was telling us about one of the boyfriends, ma'am. A fellow named Larry. Oh, yes. Donald, you heard what I said. You stay close. Yes, I knew Larry. You remember what his last name was, ma'am? Yes, Bartell. Some kind of an actor in the movies, I think. Larry uh, Bartell. You know where he lives? No, I think he had an apartment in Hollywood. I wouldn't know the address. Mm, what kind of a man was this Bartell? I mean, his temperament and things like that. Well, I think he was kind of lazy. I think Mrs. Kessler was giving him money. Mm-hmm. Did the two of them ever argue or have any fights? All the time. He had a terrible temper. Did he ever strike Miss Kessler? Yes, I saw it happen several times. Not too close to the cage, Donald. Back a little. How did this Bartell act toward the children, Mrs. McIntyre? Different, I guess. They annoyed him sometimes. Well, that was after that you had the 
argument with Miss Tessa? Yes. It was about her drinking and the boyfriend and all the rest. I just got sick of it, and I told her what I thought. She didn't want to admit she was getting old, not caring for the children. She told me she was still in her 20s. Well, do you have any idea where we might locate the father? Well, they're divorced, you know. He's the head salesman for a lumber concern downtown. He inherited most of his money. I have the name of the company at home. You can have it if you like. Yes, ma'am. We'd appreciate that. You know, it's the children I feel sorry for. Yes, ma'am. Three beautiful children. And that poor little Johnny. I just can't understand. What's that? How could anyone desert a helpless baby like that? Well, ask his mother. Friday, 5 p.m. Mrs. McIntosh called us at the office and gave us the business address of the missing woman's ex-husband, Richard Lane Kessler. We called there, but they told us Kessler was away on a week's vacation. They had no idea where to contact him, but he was expected back in a few days. We called Central Casting and asked them to check their talent list for a bit player by the name of Larry Bartell. They had no such name listed. Saturday, 8 a.m. The Kessler children, Richard and Judy, remained in the custody of juvenile authorities. The search for their mother continued. All day Saturday, Ben and I ran down what few leads we had. They went nowhere. Checks of the morgue, the city hospitals, and the drunk tank at the main jail still failed to turn up the missing woman. We checked again at the different drinking places she used to patronize. No one had seen it. 5.30 p.m., we went back to the office. Not a mile today. Yeah, there's not much to show for it. Not going to be much fun for those Kessler kids this Sunday. Why? What do you mean? First Sunday in May. Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. Hi, Mac. Hi. Got a piece of news for you. Yep. Guess the woman's boyfriend, Larry Bartell. What about him? He's been located. When he'd seen his name mentioned the previous night in the newspaper stories concerning the case, Larry Bartell had contacted the office to let us know that he didn't consider himself a fugitive. At least that was his story. He called just a few minutes before we got back to the office. He left word that he could be found at a Wilshire address all day Sunday. In the meantime, he'd be at the Spotlight Club, the club for theatrical people located in West Hollywood. 6.25 p.m., Ben and I located him at the club back in the billiards room. He was tall, dark-haired, dressed expensively. I told the cop when I called in, you weren't supposed to contact me. It was important. That little Kessler boy's dead, Bartell. We think that's pretty important. Well, I didn't know anything about that. You didn't have to interrupt me. That's an important man I was playing with. Now, what do you want to know? Where's Miss Kessler? Well, why ask me? I don't know. You're a pretty good friend of hers. You were the last person seen with her. Oh, it was a week ago. We went out to a party last Friday night. I haven't seen her since the following Monday. Uh, yeah, last Monday. I'm through with her anyway. What do you mean? I just got sick of her, that's all. Pawing all over me, asking me to marry her. I just got sick of her. It wasn't worth it. You accepted money for her? Just to tide me over. She had plenty of it. Why not? Where'd you last see her? Keep your horses down. I wouldn't like this stuff to get around the club. Yeah. There's a hotel downtown on South Fall. I could get it Were you at another hotel with Miss Kessler last week? Mm, yeah, yeah, on South Hope, around 9th Street, I think. Oh, that's where you found a coat, huh? You got an explanation for that? Bud thing? Sure. Crazy thing. So I threw her, then she tried to hit me in the bottle. Cut herself. Boy, I tell you, this wasn't worth it, that's all. I guess you can prove everything you're telling us, huh? Of course I can prove it. It's the truth. And what about the little boy? How'd that happen? I didn't have anything to do with it. It wasn't my fault. Well, how'd it happen? Well, that Friday night just before we left the house. The old lady and I were downstairs having a few drinks. She put the little kid to bed. He wouldn't stay there. He just getting up out of bed and running downstairs crying. Yeah, go on. Well, she finally took the kid to him, a good spanking, threw him back in bed. I think he hit his head in one of the posts of the crib. 
Why didn't she do something about it? Well, I told her, but she said it was nothing, didn't matter. Got a coach for us, that's all. Kids are all right when we left. You mean all the times you and Mrs. Kessler went out, you knew those children were being left all alone in that house? Oh, what of it? She's the mother, not me. Now, look, I gotta get back. I kept that game waiting on. No, just a minute. It's gonna wait a little longer. Come on. Larry Bartell was taken downtown and held for questioning on suspicion of 702 WIC, contributing to negligence of minors. He gave us the address of the hotel where he'd last seen Mrs. Kessler. Ben and I checked it out. It was a typical cheap downtown hotel with a bar opening off the lobby. The desk clerk told us a woman answering Mrs. Kessler's description was registered in a room on the second floor. They had an old-fashioned player piano going full volume in the bar. The sound followed us up the stairs. Tenants here sure must like their music. Yeah. That's it there, isn't it? 215? Yeah.
They've tried to bring you an honest and authoritative report on the work of your police force. We've tried to bring before you documented police cases that were informative as well as entertaining. In forthcoming weeks, we sincerely hope that Dragnet remains one of your favorite shows. Your letters have been read by all members of the Dragnet production staff. So if you like to listen to Dragnet, it's because you, our listeners, have helped to guide us in presenting the kind of entertainment that you want. And for this, our thanks. Mrs. Jean Kessler was filed on and found guilty in Superior Court, charge of manslaughter. She was sentenced to one year in the county jail and deprived of the custody of her children. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, portion transcribed from Los Angeles. Now stay tuned for Counter Spy, then it's Screen Director's Playhouse on NBC. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ladies and gentlemen, Leggett & Myers, makers of Fatima Cigarettes, is proud to bring you its prize-winning radio program, winner of the Motion Picture Herald Fame Award. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. Detective Sergeant, you're assigned a homicide detail. Twelve men drop completely from sight over a short period of time. There's evidence of foul play. Four months pass. You finally locate the leading suspect in the case. Your job, pick him up. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes. You'll find they now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild, 
with a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. So compare Fatima yourself. Fatima's now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Start enjoying Fatima tomorrow. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, October the 6th. It was sultry in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from the office, and it was 10.45 a.m. when we got to Ortega Street, number 1285. Second floor? Yeah, room 14. They all smell the same, don't they? What's that? Room and housing. Oh, yeah. No, these are the odd numbers here. Must be down that way, huh? Yeah, here it is. Fourteen. guys really cops? Come on, get up. No fooling. No fooling. You really cops? I thought you were faking. We showed you our identification at the door. I thought you were faking. That's the truth. There's a couple of guys out to muss me up. I I thought you were them. Your name Henry Ross? Yeah, that's right. I thought you were one of those moochers I had a fight with in the bar the other night. Said he's going to get a pal and come back in and take care of me. Yeah? Yeah. I got no reason to fight with cops. I didn't do my room any good. Landlady's sure gonna scream. All right, come on. You want to finish up dressing? I want to talk to you downtown. What's it about, officer? Missing person. We'll brief you when we get downtown. Well, it's all right with me. Could you take these handcuffs off, please? It's kind of hard dressing with them. All you have to do is put your shoes on. You can make out. All right. I don't know why you had to slap handcuffs on me. I didn't know you were cops. You mind if we check through your things, Rolf? Huh? Why? You mind? Oh, go ahead if you want. I got a night. You know, if you'd have spoke up at the door, that wouldn't have been a fight. I thought you were that mooch in a bar and his friend. 
I thought you were looking for trouble. You about ready to go? Yeah, I'd like to brush my teeth off, you don't mind. I got a real mouthful of cotton this morning. All right, what do you keep your toothbrush? It's over here. I'll get it. No, I'll get it. Never mind. Get here? Yeah, first shelf. It's in the glass. Yeah, Don't you it. trust me? Here you go. Want some toothpaste? Yeah. All right. There you go. Turn on the water tap, huh? Hey. Nothing, Joe. It's pretty clean. Of course I'm clean. What do you expect? Anybody could have made the mistake. I didn't know you were cops. Henry Ellsworth Ross. Is that your full name? Yeah, that's right. I hardly ever use the Ellsworth, though. That's a real lousy name, huh? What's the fetch on all this, officer? We told you, missing person. Want to talk to you about it. I don't think I can help you. Nobody I know is missing. How about Paul Davis? Davis? Yeah, I know Davis. I don't know if his name is Paul, though. Been gone a long time, huh, Miss Davis? Yeah, that's right. Something wrong, you think? We figure murder. After going over his room thoroughly, we took Henry Ellsworth Ross back to the city hall to the interrogation room. It was a slightly built man, dark hair, brown eyes, swarthy complexion. He was a longshoreman by trade. Among his friends and acquaintances, he was known as a heavy drinker and a man with a violent temper. Ben and I questioned him for a half an hour and got nowhere. He sat across the table, relaxed, scraping at a thick callus on his hand with his fingernail. I'll tell you the truth. I just don't know what you're getting at. I think I know a guy named Davis, and that's about as far as it goes. Sure that's all you've got to tell him? Of course I'm sure. Now, look, i got a right to call a lawyer if you're going to sit there and throw a lot of charges at me. We're not throwing charges at you, Henry. We've got a missing persons case. We'd like to have you cooperate. That's about it. Well, maybe I'd like to, but I can't. Paul Davis is just a name to me. Maybe I know him. I, I don't know. You got that report there, then? Mm, yeah, just a minute. There you go. Thanks. Well, here's the way it goes, Henry. Yeah? Well, according to his wife, Paul Davis left Los Angeles by auto a little over four months ago was driving up to Oakdale, California to take a job with a dairy company up there. He never got there. He's been missing ever since. So? What's the pitch? All we've been able to find is Davis's car, the 36 Ford Coupe, 7 Tom 792. It was sold a month ago up in Lodi, California. But Davis didn't sell it. A man by the name of Carter signed the pink slip at the time of the sale. Henry Carter. Sorry. Don't mean anything to me. Well, as Carter made it look like Paul Davis had signed the Ford over to him, we checked it out. Davis' signature was Ford's. That's so? It's supposed to have something to do with me? Did you ever use the name Henry Carter? Of course not. Ross. That's the only name I go by. Never had your name changed? No. Never used an alias? I told you, no. I wonder if you'd mind taking a look at this. Here you go, this here. What's this got to do with me? The pink slip to Paul Davis' car. Mm. See the signatures on the back here? Transfer of ownership? You recognize either one of them? Paul Davis. Henry H. Carter. No. Doesn't mean anything to me. Is it supposed to? It should, yeah. Why? The signatures are both in your handwriting. How about it, Henry? How about what? I don't even know what you're talking about. You're trying to give me the treatment? What's this all about? I'm trying to locate Paul Davis. I'm not even sure I know the guy. I think you better level, Henry. Our handwriting man checked both the signatures that you're writing. Well, then maybe you better get a new handwriting man. I never saw that slip. I never wrote those signatures. Anybody can copy handwriting. 
Well, I've got something else for you, Ross. I'd like to have you check it over, see if you can identify it. What is it? It's a letter. I want to take a look here. Does that mean anything to you? No, nothing. I hope you're not going to tell me this is my handwriting. That's what the report says. Oh, it's crazy. I never wrote like that in my life. All the writing characteristics match up. Same as the signatures on the pink slip. All right, maybe they are the same. I didn't write either one. I never wrote like that in my life. Here, let me show you how no, I write. That's all right. Ben, do you want to pull the package tomorrow night? Mm, yeah, okay. I don't savvy one bit of this, Sergeant. How about laying it out here? You can see the name at the bottom of the letter. It's signed Henry Carter, same as the pink slip. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, this letter was sent to the wife of Paul Davis about nine weeks ago, and it says here that Davis supposedly was too busy to write his wife, so he had this Henry Carter send a letter. He also writes in here that Davis sold his car to Carter. Somebody trying to cover up, huh? No, we think so. We think it's Henry Carter. This, um, this Davis guy, he's been gone about four months? That's right. You said you thought Davis was murdered. How come? Just an idea. Oh. Eight men had disappeared from around here in the last 14 months, just like Davis. Mm. Six more up in the San Joaquin Valley the same way. They took off alone on auto trips. We're never seen again. Not a trace. Pretty funny. Here you go, Joe. Thank you. You've got your record here, Henry, from Baton Rouge. Sent to Sheriff Clemens for it. Huh? Look, do we have to drag all that again? It's past. Just one thing we had to check, Henry. You told us that you never use an alias, is that right? All right, I have. I didn't know what you are getting at. I didn't think there was any use dragging out dirty laundry again. I asked you if you ever used the name Henry Carter. Okay, I've used it. It's a common name. There's a lot of Henry Carters around. We only know one of it's your description. I'm clean. You know that. On the smoke, Henry? No. You? Yeah, thanks. Well, let me have one, will you? Sure. Here you go. Thanks. I'm going to match here. You know, we rode this thing for four months. It's all over the state. Here. Thanks. I'll tell you what we got, Henry. We'll let you make up your own mind. It's not my writing. On June 4th, Paul Davis left Los Angeles in his car headed for Oakdale. Late in the afternoon, he stopped for gas at a service station just beyond San Fernando. The attendant says a man was with Davis. You fit that man's description, Henry. Yeah? Well, I've seen monks like that in court. They get on the stand and can't even remember their own name. A couple others. You and Davis stopped for a hamburger just outside of Gorman. There's a man there. He remembers you, too. You stopped again in Bakersfield. Picked up a quart of oil for the car. You and Davis had a coke the last time you were seen alive. That makes me a killer, huh? A month after that, the pink slip to Davis's car came through DMV up in Sacramento. That was for the transfer of ownership from Davis to Henry Carter, both in your handwriting. A couple of weeks later, Mrs. Davis got that letter. A month ago, Davis's car was sold to a dealer in Lodi. Yeah, yeah. We found the dealer, Ross. Showed him a mugshot. He says you sold him the car. That all? It's just the main part. There's more. We've been on the road a lot. We followed you from here to Sacramento and back, Henry. Every stop, every detour took us a long time. Yeah, I guess it did. What do you say, Ross? Nothing. Any way you want it, Henry. You got another smoke? Yeah? Yeah, here you are. Thanks. Here. 
Yeah. I guess you worked hard on it, huh? All over the state. That's right. Must be pretty hot up in the valley summertime. It's dusty, huh? We made out. I've never been up in the valley in summer. It's too hot for me. We got people who saw you there. What's it prove? Ten people and some writing samples. You can't build a case on that. You know it, don't you? We're going to try. You think I murdered Davis? You, Sergeant? Yeah. You think I murdered those other guys, too, huh? What was it, the ten, twelve of them? We're asking about Davis. You think I killed him? Tell me the truth, do you? You think I murdered Davis? Yeah, I think you did. Uh-huh. Well, then you know as well as I do, there's only one way to prove it. Yeah. Find his body. 1.15 p.m. Ben and I took Henry Ross out and fed him some lunch. Then we took him back to the city hall to the interrogation room where we continued to question him. It was relaxed and he talked a great deal about everything but the disappearance of Paul Davis. He didn't seem anxious to get away, made no demands for an attorney to represent him. For a full hour, he did most of the talking. He told us about the different homicide cases he'd read up on. He asked us about the 12 men who disappeared in the past months in the same manner Paul Davis had. Was there any trace of them at all? Did we have any leads? How did we think we were going to find them? Well, we finally got around to asking him if he'd submit to a lie detector test. He seemed taken by the idea and agreed to it almost immediately. Ben called Sergeant Berger and made arrangements for the test. We made up a list of key questions. At 5 p.m., we took the suspect to the third floor of the old city jail where Sergeant Berger gave him the polygraph test. On the way back to the office, Ross complained he was hungry. We stopped and bought him coffee and donuts. We got back to the interrogation room a little after 6 p.m. The questioning continued. Ross didn't seem to mind at all. He kept talking. We let him talk. 8 p.m., he was still going strong. You remember the Wilson case back in 34, don't you, Sergeant? Woman killed her whole family. Big case, you remember. Yeah, uh-huh. it was pretty tragic. Uh, is that a hobby of yours, Henry, collecting murder stories? No, no, I, I just read them, remember them. I guess I can remember every big murder case in the last 15 years. That's so? Yeah, it's about all of them. I, yeah, I guess it is kind of a hobby. I, I get a big kick out of it. I get it, Ben. Excuse me, Henry. Oh, sure. Interrogation room, Friday. Oh, yeah, Burger. Mm-hmm. How many? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You know, there's one thing I get a real big kick out of those detective magazines. Mystery stories. The way they make out the murderer. How do you mean? Oh, you know, they always build it up into something big. Somebody's always killing somebody else for a million dollars. Or maybe over some woman. Some beautiful woman. Same way with the movies. That's where they get it all mixed up. I don't think I follow you, Henry. Oh, sure you do. Every time some guy writes a murder story, he's got to build up a big reason for the killing. Mm-hmm. A lot of money, beautiful woman. Revenge, maybe. Always got to be a big reason. Motive. Motive, that's what they say. Yeah, well, it generally works out that way, doesn't it? Why? I bet you there's a, a thousand murder cases in your files without any reason at all. Some people kill, that's all. I've heard about lots of them. They just want to kill, and they go ahead and do it. Maybe for a few bucks, maybe for nothing. They, they just do it, that's all. That's all. Sure, you know that. Like this thing you've been talking about. Ten, twelve guys disappear. They got a few bucks, maybe they got nothing. Somebody plows them under, and that's all. No big reason. They just do it. So twelve guys are gone. It doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. That's how you got it figured, huh, Henry? Huh? A phone call a minute ago there. It was a man who gave you the lie detector test. Oh, that right? How'd it go? He just finished going over your graph. He got 16 positive reactions. Yeah, what's that mean? 
You lied, Henry, 16 times. That's right. You better tell him to get a new machine. I lied all the way through. Mind telling us why? No, I don't mind. I guess I knew you'd find out. Let's go get something to eat first, though. I'm hungry. Well, we better talk a little more, Henry. Oh, let's go. I'll tell you why we're eating. Bring a pencil with you. Draw your map. Map of what? The canyon, where I buried it. Listening to Dragnet for the step by step solution to tonight's authentic case history. Here, step by step, are the actual reasons why Fatima is the quality king size cigarette. Why in Fatima the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos, the finest domestic and Turkish varieties, extra mild and superbly blended to give you a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture. Smooth, round, perfect cigarettes. Rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Manufactured in the newest and most modern of all cigarette factories. Quality even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow package. Carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, fresh, extra mild flavor. Compare Fatima yourself. Fatima's now cost the same as other long cigarettes... But your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Insist on Fatima. Start enjoying the quality king-size cigarette. Fatima, best of all long cigarettes. Wednesday, 9.55 p.m. Ben and I took Henry Ross across the street, bought him a Coke at Mac's place, and we took him next door to the Melbourne cafeteria. It was almost closing time. Ross got himself a cottage cheese and pineapple salad, bacon and liver with onions, rye bread, banana pie, and coffee. Ben had a hot beef sandwich, mashed potatoes, and coffee. I had the same. At the back of the cafeteria, one of the busboys was mopping the tile floor. It was a strong smell of disinfectant. How about that table over there, Sergeant? That all right with you? Yeah, it's okay. Doesn't make any difference. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, want some water? Yeah. Henry? Yeah, please. All right, I'll get some. Oh, boy. Living onions. That sure smells great, huh? Yeah. I can't take those onions so well. They repeat on me. Uh, not me. I can eat anything. Salt and pepper? Yeah, thanks. Boy, I'm sure hungry. I haven't eaten much today. Did you get a sandwich made with rye bread? Mm-mm. Graham bread. Oh, you should have gotten the rye. Real German rye bread. Yeah. Smell that. Real nice and fresh. Here you go. Ben? Ben oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. You know, all that talk really sharpened up my appetite. Boy, his food tastes good. Mm-hmm. Shall we go? Uh, well, thanks. We brought a pencil along, Henry. You want us to start taking notes? As good as time as any, I guess. You know, the whole thing just comes right back to what I was trying to tell you there in the office. Yeah, what's that? Well, you know. All about those phony mystery stories. Oh, yeah. Every time there's trouble, there's a big reason behind it. It's phony, that's all. Yeah? Sure, this 
It's Paul Davis, Francis. I guess I knew you'd find me out. I knew this morning when you picked me up, you had it figured. Must have been a big job, huh? Finding me? Mm-hmm. Pretty big, Henry, you know. A lot of mileage. How'd it happen? Well, there again. That's just like I was saying. There's no big reason behind it. I needed a few bucks, and Mr. Davis came along. <coughs> I guess he was it. Hey, pass me a ketchup, boy. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, here you are. Get the lid off there. There you go. Thanks. Where'd you meet, Davis, Henry? Oh, I was hitchhiking out in Ventura. Not a dime in my jeans. I was going up to Maricopa. I thought I had a job up there, and Mr. Davis come along. Picked me up. Mm-hmm. You never know him before that? No. no. Stranger. He says he's going to Oakdale. Little guy give me a ride. Go ahead. Well, we stopped for gas at San Fernando, and I saw he had a few bucks in his wallet, and I guess that's when I got the idea. About what? Killing him. Now, maybe that gives you an idea what I was talking about. You don't need any big reason to kill somebody. Davis said, 18 bucks. Now, suppose I told that to a writer. Somebody killing a guy for 18 bucks. That wouldn't make much sense, huh? He'd tell you he'd never sell. You need a million dollars, beautiful woman, good motive. Yeah. Where did you kill him, Henry? Just outside of Bakersfield. A little canyon there. I got Davis to buy a fifth of sherry in Bakersfield. He drank some on the way. Pass the saw, huh? Yeah. There you are. Thanks. Well, no good without plenty of salt. How'd you kill Davis, Henry? Well, that's a funny thing. He drank some of the wine, got a little sleepy. I was just outside of Bakersfield. Dark by that time. I spotted this little canyon. I figured it's as good a place as any. Well, so I guess him pulled off to a side road and had a few more drinks. I spotted this little shack out there in the middle of nowhere. Exactly where was this, Henry? Well, I can show you. It's maybe... Two miles north of Bakersfield, we got to the shack, finished the wine, went to sleep. Both of you? Mm-hmm. And that's where the funny part comes in. I guess I killed Davis, all right. But I didn't mean it. Oh, brother, get a whiff of that, huh? Why do these monks have to mop up while people are eating? They'll be through in a minute, Henry. Fine. How'd you mean, Henry, you didn't mean to kill him? You already told us you had the idea. Well, sure I had the idea. Let me explain, huh? We both went to sleep in the shack, Davis and me. Guess that must have been, all oh, about 9 o'clock at night. I don't know what it was. Maybe the wine, I guess, but I started having nightmares. Hmm? Yeah, now, maybe this part sounds like a story, but it's the truth. I had all these dreams. I woke up, but they're still there. What was that? Faces. Faces. That's all I could see. It's full of faces. Like, I, I guess I was really still asleep. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I... I Picked up a two-by-four and started swinging at them in faces. Funny thing, too, I knew every one of these faces. How do you mean? People I killed. There are only a dozen of them, really, but it seemed like there were a hundred of them all around in the air. Well, I grabbed that two-by-four and I started swinging. I was cold and sweating all at the same time, and I kept on swinging. And I saw Davis's face, and I swung hard and kept swinging. Didn't he make a sound? His eyes closed, kept on swinging at his head. Well, I come to it, there he was, lying on the floor. Seemed to take those other faces away. They didn't bother me after I killed Davis. What'd you do with him, Henry? Oh, pulled him outside the shack, dug a hole and buried him. Burned his clothes, took his car and money and drove off. I'll show you if you like where I buried him, I mean. How about these other men, Ross? These faces you saw? Hmm? Oh. Uh, uh, when if I get a little more coffee? Huh? It's all gone. I'll get it. Joe? No, no thanks. 
What about it, Ross? The other men. Oh, I don't recall them too well. It's what you said in the office. Ten or twelve of them. A couple in Sacramento. The others down through the valley. Like I say, there was no big reason for killing them. It just happened that way. What did you do with them, you remember? Generally, yeah. Uh, there's one of them that stands out. Guy by the name of Slattery. Some kind of salesman. A real crybaby. Where'd this happen? No, I'm picking up in his car outside of Chowchilla. It's nighttime. You must be feeling pretty good. I made him stop on the side road. I hit him with a piece of angle iron. He cried like a baby. Buried him in a field there. Is one of the faces that I saw. That's funny, huh? It shows you how psychology works, huh? Yeah, what'd you do with his car, Slattery's, I mean? Drove it down to Mexico and saw it there. I guess that's what I should have done with Davis's car. Oh, here you go. Oh, right. These killings of yours, you got any more you want to tell us about? Well, I told you already. Ten or twelve of them. They're pretty much the same. When was the first one? Oh, maybe... 18 months, two years ago. First one wasn't any harder than last. It's just like I was telling you before. Yeah. Everybody builds up murder. It's supposed to be a big thing, hard to do, all those phony stories. I'd just hit a guy a couple of times or something, that'd be it. A real small thing. Didn't change many. That's why I say it's, it's all built up. You ever been treated for any mental sickness, Roth? No, why? You ever been examined by a psychiatrist? No. After you killed these men, did it bother you at all? I just that one dream. Time I was with Davis. That's about it. Sure, good meal, Sergeant. Thanks. Yeah, okay. You ready, Ben? Let's go. All right. We go back upstairs, huh? Yeah. You want to give us a statement? All right. I had an idea you'd find me. I guess I always knew that you'd find me. Well, let's go then. Guess I proved my point anyway, huh? It's all build up. Huh? Murder. Killing somebody. Those phony stories. It's all build up. It's cheap. No, you got it wrong, Henry. Huh? Wait till they read you the bill. The story you've just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 7th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 86, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, the makers of Fatima have done everything possible to produce the kind of cigarette you want, just as we on Dragnet try to bring you the kind of entertainment you want. In my honest opinion, Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. But frankly, my opinion doesn't count because Fatimas must please you. That's why I suggest you buy a pack of Fatimas tomorrow so you can prove to yourself that Fatimas are extra mild, with a rich, better flavor and aroma. You'll find Fatima now costs the same as other long cigarettes. And I'm convinced that you'll discover what I did. In Fatima, the difference is quality. Henry Ellsworth Ross was tried and found guilty on two counts of murder in the first degree and received the death sentence. While he indicated that he had murdered the other ten men, he refused to give any further information regarding the killings or what he had done with the bodies. Ross was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet portions transcribed from Los Angeles. Now more excitement with Counter Spy on NBC. 
program is for you, not your children. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.